0: This is A Kick in the Grass. With Dan Riccio and Jeff Blair on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
1: Welcome in. Episode 8 of A Kick in the Grass. Is Barcelona in crisis and are Manchester United ready to contend again? Joining us for our special guest interview this week, Jamie Jackson, the Manchester correspondent for The Guardian to tell us if what we're seeing from the Red Devils is for real and can they carry it forward. Dan Riccio and Jeff Blair here on A Kick in the Grass. You can always catch us on iTunes. New episodes every Monday. Subscribe and leave a nice review while you're there on iTunes or whatever podcatcher it is that you use. We do appreciate it. Welcome back, Jeff.
0: Good to be back. Recharged from holidays. Everything's perfect. Man U's winning.
1: I got to ask you, um, like, is there too much soccer right now? Like, I, I, f- I found it hard to, like, keep up with all the matches going on every single day.
0: I can't believe that you said <laughs> that. No, there's not too much soccer. There, I, you've gone months without sports, and now you're already complaining about, about too much sports. No, no, no. There can never be too much soccer. Uh, and uh, let, let's wait and see when MLS gets back. Then you can ask me the question.
1: If, if MLS gets back. If MLS uh, is, gets back, that's true. Is, is what we're really asking today and uh, probably through the course of the week as it continues. No, it's, uh, it's, it's been crazy. Just uh, hard to keep up with so many matches each and every day. Uh, but nonetheless, there's no shortage of storylines, which makes it good for us here, Jeff. And certainly, uh, Barcelona has been the focus of the football world over the last week. Um This is kind of how their um, last 7 to 10 days went. Uh, They drew Celta and Atletico Madrid 2-2 in each of those matches, which saw their title hopes pretty much slip to a slim chance to get over Real Madrid, who have a four-point lead with four matches to play. Uh, It raised major concerns about the future of the club, the manager, uh, the president as well. Uh, They forced through the Artur for Pjanic swap with Juventus that helped them balance the books for the end of their fiscal year on June 30th. Uh, Antoine Griezmann was an unused sub against his former club, Atletico Madrid. 120 million euro transfer just last summer. After those two matches, news leaked that contract extension talks with Lionel Messi had been stalled, and he's due for a new deal next summer when he'll be 34 years old. Finally, yesterday, a bit of calm, Jeff, as uh, they defeat Villarreal 4-1. Antoine Griezmann and Luis Suarez both score as they link well in a strike partnership. And maybe Quique Setien has found a formation that might work in all of his stars.
0: What a week. Well, well, what a week. And, And you might think it's calm now, but... Uh, we we know now that Jabi uh, Hernandez, uh, who had been linked as a replacement, and who would certainly be, I think, a a, a welcome replacement for Kike Setién, We understand that he has now signed a new contract with Al Sadd, the Qatari team that he's with. Now, of course, as we've seen in soccer, the contracts contracts aren't necessarily sacrosanct. But you know, doing some doing some reading in the Spanish press, it it's interesting. A couple of writers went back and dug up a a rather long interview that uh, Xavi Hernandez did a couple of months ago where he talked about what it would take to have him go back to Barca as the coach. And his comment was he would like to return, quote, when the time is right and when he could start a new project, quote, from scratch. Now, couple of things to keep in mind about this. First of all, I, I I can't sit here and tell you. I don't think anybody can sit here and tell you that Javi Hernandez would necessarily take over Barca and everything would be perfect. But Danny, this is a guy who is a beloved figure amongst the fans. He's a beloved figure amongst his former teammates. I would be willing to bet that there are few people in the world who know more about what is going on in the guts of that club than Xabi Hernandez does. And if he is not yet prepared to commit to a return to Barcelona, that makes me think that things really, really are unsettled there and that they're unsettled in the locker room as much as they are unsettled in the front office. So yes, there is a calm. Four goals will do that. But I have got to think that a, the, a, a lot of folks that follow Bars are going to be looking at, at that announcement today uh, from Javi Hernandez and, and really trying to parse what that means about where their team is and what the immediate future holds for that team.
1: Well, there's there's a, a few things ongoing here. You know, there's there's a lot of questions about you know what's going on with the front office and and the presidential aspect of it all and, and where that's going moving forward. Uh, It seems as though there's some discussion if they're going to move up the election for their president uh, to this summer, rather than wait until next summer, which when it was supposed to be Uh, there's this whole club is just a mess. And you look at their, their transfer dealings the last number of years, uh, talked about it with, with, with Alex in the last couple of weeks, but you know, Griezmann, uh, all these—he's just one of a number of signings that have just completely blown up in their face and have not worked out. The fact that look, Lionel Messi is incredible, and you know he put a career high now of, of assists this year in 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 La Liga, and he's attributed to forty plus goals on the season, the only player in the league to do that. But you know, he's going to be thirty four next summer, and and he's thirty three uh, over the last couple of weeks. It's kind of incredible that they still rely on him so much, and they rely on Suárez so much as well. When these guys, they've been here for a while, and they've tried to, you know, add to the squad, but have just failed time and time again. Something's got to change at the front office level. That they have to be better about the transfers that come in because this it's it's been an embarrassment uh, for for what they've done in the transfer windows.
0: Well, it's always been it, it always it almost seems as if all they have done is spend money. And what I mean by that is, you know, we need a big signing. So let's, let's go out and sign. Let's, let's get the biggest signing we can, and then we'll make it fit. Let's go out and spend money and then we'll make it all fit. And I don't think that approach necessarily works anymore for Barca. And, you know, look, we're at a time now coming out of the pandemic where the entire the entire economics of the game are going to be challenged. It doesn't matter how big a club you are. You are going to have challenges this year and possibly next season. Challenges that we haven't seen in the past. And I just think they've lost, I think they've lost their way. And you know what? I read an interesting article it was last year about Barca. And the point was made that you know maybe Barca ought to worry more about acting like Barca and less about trying to match Real Madrid and I wonder if maybe there isn't some sort of legitimacy to that argument that in some ways Barca has kind of has kind of lost focus because look we talked about this coming out of the pandemic Danny Barca's got no depth you compare their depth to to Real and Real's got issues I mean they're certainly not the most perfect club out there and they've got some older players but you just get the feeling that whatever issue comes up, Real will somehow be able to figure it out. And you don't get that feeling at all with Barca.
1: Well, even just the, the Artur deal, um, you know, that's a player that comes in a couple of years ago to much fanfare. He's supposed to reinvigorate the aging midfield. And a couple of months ago, they're saying they're going to give him a, a new contract and, and commit to him. And now because they needed the money they they forced through this deal and you know the the numbers are all just what they say on paper there's not uh, mm-hmm. the the 70 60 million euros uh, that uh, the 60 million euros they paid for for Miralem Pjanić is not quite that and the 70 million Juventus paid for for Artur is is not quite that either this is all about balancing the books but you know that's a transfer in in 2020 that not many teams are making unless they're desperate because Nobody is is trading a 30 year old midfielder for a 23 year old and only getting a a couple extra bucks on the side. It just doesn't it doesn't make a lot of sense. And Pjanic Pianic is still a good player. You know he's he's still a quality midfielder, but he's also very much similar to to the guys they that they already have at Barcelona. And you know, mm-hmm. Arturo Vidal is pretty much the only guy that is has a little bit more to him than can pick out a great pass type of a. Uh, of a feeling. And I, and I'm simplifying it for sure, but it, it just doesn't seem like there's much of a plan with the players that they're bringing in and they're not thinking about the fit of the players that they are bringing in. They're just trying to fill the holes as they come and dealing with the, the money as it happens as well. And that's, that's, that's no way to run a football club and that's why they find themselves in such uh an interesting financial situation, and one that's not going to get any easier to figure out given the pandemic.
0: No, and the other thing that, that you know, I kind of chuckled over the weekend. You you know that things have reached an uncomfortable position for Real, or I'm sorry for Barca when you start hearing the old argument about the officials favor Real, right? And we started that 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 was very much a talking point in the Spanish press this weekend. Real had two uh, has been given penalties in their last two games, and I love Diego Simeone's reaction to that was well. Generally, VAR favors teams that attack. The more you attack, especially in the box, the greater the likelihood that you are going to put yourself in position where VAR can intercede on your behalf. And what he didn't say, but what I think a lot of people took away was, well, if Barcelona was better, <laughs> you know, they'd be getting they'd be getting more penalties compared to rail. So that's another telltale sign, right? In that, that whole Barca rail dynamic is generally whoever starts bitching about the officiating first <laughs> is losing and is, has reached that they've reached their wits end because now you're starting to talk about conspiracy theories. And I think that's where we are with Barca. There's a conspiracy theory out there against them, which is of course ludicrous.
1: So I came across this stat just to put Real Madrid's perceived penalty Bonanza into perspective. uh, They've had nine penalties called in their favor in La Liga this season. That ranks outside the top 80 for most penalties (laughs) awarded to a team in a single season of the top five European leagues over the last 10 years. They've had a lot of luck over the last three weeks. I'll give, I'll give them that. But over the course of the season, uh, it it hasn't really uh, panned out the way that Barcelona is putting it out. Uh, Okay. Final thought, and then we're going to get into mm. Manchester United. Lionel Messi, we've seen him do this in the past, where a leak comes out, and it's generally tied into a new contract. But you know, he is getting up there in age now. He will be 34 next summer when his contract is up. Is is his Barcelona future actually in doubt to you, Jeff?
0: No, I think that, and I felt all along, Danny, that he finishes his career there. <sighs> I mean, I was going to say where else, what other, what other uniform could you see him in? But I mean, that's in this day and age of transfers. That's, that's not necessarily uh, a legit observation. I just don't, I don't don't know where he goes. Maybe, does he go back to Pep? Boy, I, I don't know about that.
1: Yeah, that that's what I was gonna say. That's that's the easy link that a lot of people are making. That also assumes Pep's gonna be manager of Manchester City beyond next season, uh, as well, which I, I think is very much in doubt. On top of that, agreed. MLS, I don't I don't know if I see Messi as an MLS guy. Um, I, I think that's more the route that that maybe Cristiano Ronaldo takes. Maybe yeah. I'm wrong on that. Um, no, I agree. The the only other thing would be going back home to Argentina, and as as we see a lot of players do, Carlos Tevez has done that. Uh, would would Messi do that uh, to to close out the final two or final season of his career? But other than that, like he's he's Barcelona through and through, and and we always make the Ronaldo comparison, but you know Ronaldo started at Sporting, went to Manchester United, went to Real Madrid, now is at Juventus. Like he's he's gone places in his career, mm-hmm. right? That's been part of his story is the movement. But Messi has just been Barcelona, and that's, you know, I think that's that's tied into where his future lies as well.
0: Yeah, I think Messi, you know, if you go back and look at at his early days, the one thing that I, I think always stands out about Lionel Messi is, um, now I was going to say he's a creature of comfort, but I I think it's important to him to know the people around him. I don't think at this stage in his career he's necessarily the type of guy that would embark on would feel the need to embark an adventure on an adventure, I'm with you. I think he either finishes with Barca or goes back to Argentina. And I think a lot, honestly, I think a lot will depend on what happens with the pandemic and what happens with the international calendar over these next couple of years. I think that may make a determination or may play a role in where he ends up going. But I just... I mean, I can't see him going, I can't see him going to Sadia, I can't see him going to the Prem. I just don't think he needs to sign up for all the stuff that goes on in MLS, the travel, the, I just, I, I just don't see that happening. Uh,
1: so one last stat, uh, on, on Messi, uh, and it ties into Cristiano Ronaldo again, um who scored a free kick this weekend, his first with Juventus, took him 43 attempts. In that same time frame, uh, Lionel Messi had scored 16 free kicks. Uh. <laughs> yeah, just stop it. You're
0: going to win Serie <laughs> yeah, Just stop it. I, stop with the... Stop with the... You know what? That's like... That's like... I, I lived in Montreal and the Canadians were great. And that's like... Quibbling about the issues the Canadians are having in their fourth (laughs) line or their third. It's not even that it's because he's he's one of the best players in the world, if not the best player in the world. Just stop it with the Ronaldo hate.
1: Stop Uh, it. I I will when uh, he brings uh, Juventus a a Champions League title, but uh, uh, we'll see if that happens later on this summer. All right, we'll move over to the Premier League as Manchester United continued rolling on the weekend. Jamie Jackson of The Guardian joins us next to talk about whether or not what we are seeing from United is real. That's next on A Kick in the Grass. Back in on a kick in the grass. Dan Riccio and Jeff Blair here with you. It's been uh, quite a couple of weeks in the Premier League. Liverpool, as we know, they wrapped up the title race. It showed in their 4-0 loss to Manchester City last week. But the race for top four spots is where the focus is now. Leicester had gone winless in four before finally winning at the weekend over Crystal Palace. That has now opened the door for Manchester United and Chelsea to catch them in the table. Chelsea continuing to shine with American Christian Pulisic leading the way. And Manchester United, well, they lead the form table over the last 10 fixtures with 21 points. They beat Bournemouth 5-2 on Saturday. But Jeff, what's really intrigued me the most is that United's not only been good. Like, we've seen them be good since Fergie left in 2013. They did finish second a couple of years ago on 81 points. They were 19 points behind Manchester city that year though, but not only have they been good, they've also been fun to watch again.
0: They're fun United because you get the impression that for the first time in a while, you have a bunch of players who are probably playing in the positions that they most like playing in. And, it's I mean, I I watching watching the match against Bournemouth. Now, look, the five goals is going to make everybody happy. But if you watch the body language on somebody like Paul Pogba, who didn't feature in the scoring, he is enjoying his football again, just as he as he enjoyed it when he was playing for Didier Duchamp in France. I really get the sense that this is the United team that has answered it's answered enough questions since the restart that i think Olie and ed woodward now know the areas they absolutely need to focus on in the transfer market yeah i think they can prioritize stuff now they need they need help at center back you don't want victor Lindelof starting for you so you need help at center back i think you need another left back although i wouldn't prioritize that much as a center back and for me at least danny i don't know how you feel but for me, at least, I'm OK right now with a front three of Greenwood, Rashford and Martial. Maybe I add a little depth there because I've got to think ahead to next year and realize that I may have Champions League football in addition to everything else going on. But uh, for the first time in, gosh, I'm going to say four or five years, I think United go into an offseason knowing exactly what they need and that's important because this is going to be a tough transfer market to try to get any business done
1: for more on this uh, let's welcome in our next guest he is jamie jackson the manchester football correspondent at the guardian and uh, has a new biography coming out later this year on Ole gunner sulkshire called the red apprentice you'll be able to find it at amazon and wherever books are sold thanks for this jamie how are you I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Uh, we're we're great. Um, it's uh, it's been pretty pretty wild times. Uh, do, do you do you actually get to go to the matches and, and cover them from the stadium? How, how's that working out for you?
2: Yeah, luckily enough, um, I I do. So I've done every home game of either United or City. So I think it's three or four City and two uh, Manchester United ones. So for example, I was there on Saturday when they beat Bournemouth um, five two. So yeah, I'm lucky. Basically, it's one um, representative per national media organization. So that's one from the Guardian, you know, um, for, for uh, each particular game. So for the Manchester club, that, that's me.
0: I was going to ask you, Jamie. What I mean, what's that experience been like so far? Um, you know, I mean, we've uh, I've been in a lot of press boxes. I've covered baseball, basketball, hockey, soccer, football, the whole gamut. Um, there's a real sort of culture to the press box, a real vibrancy to the press box. What's it like kind of being a
1: little
2: isolated? Yeah, it's an interesting question. So United's very last game before the um, uh, suspension of football was actually behind closed doors. It was the one in um, Austria against Lask in the Europa League. And I went to that game. So a little taste of, of what you're sort of talking about there, asking about there. Uh, and it is odd. Yeah. Um, you know, the, you talk about that sort of vibe you have. Basically, we go in, we're in something called the Amber So The players are, and the sort of immediate staff managers are in the red zone. That's obviously pitch side, etc. We're in the Amber Zone and you basically have a row of the press area to yourself. There might be a colleague or the friend and you can still chat, but, you know, you're not going in the press conference room or media room before and after. Um, so it is a little bit, It is. it really is like when I do, you know, when I cover United say on pre-season tours or in friendlies, you know, And but the difference is with those games, so I'm saying that because obviously those games, you know, there's not too much on it, but there are fans in those games, whereas in, in these games, obviously they do count for something, but, you know, it's the same sort of flashish atmosphere because there aren't any fans in there, so... It's a little bit odd. Um, it's interesting because you can hear, not all the time, but you can hear a lot of what's going on on the pitch with the players. So that's giving it an, an extra or a fresh dimension, which is quite, you know, quite nice to write about if and when. So, for example, Bournemouth against Bournemouth on Saturday, one little vignette: uh, Rashford was in space; he didn't, he wasn't passed to, and you could hear him. I won't swear, but he, you could hear him loud and clear. You know, you know what? Give me the you know what ball. So just little things like that are quite interesting.
1: Yeah, that would be uh, part of the experience that um, I, I imagine is is a bit different than it normally would be, and uh, it also helps that the the football's been better from from Manchester United uh, lately as well. A run of uh, sixteen unbeaten now. Um, is this is this all down to the the transfer in of of Bruno Fernandes? Has he has he made that much of a difference in your eyes?
2: I was wondering if you were going to ask me this. Um, I think <laughs> basically this kind of piece for Saturdays. You know, sadly just gone, uh, Guardian, and listen. There's a few factors, but he has. I basically wrote, and I think it's fair enough that he's probably the best or most important signing, put it that way, for United since Robin van Persie uh, in summer 2012, ahead of you know when they won their last title, because he then went and scored 26 Premier League goals, and you know elevated those around him, you know his teammates. And I think Fernandez has done that. He's got the goal he got um, on Saturday made it seven in 14, which. You, know, you don't need me to tell you he's brilliant for a midfielder. You know, that'd be brilliant for a striker, right? One every two. Um he's yeah, he, he's basically the captain in all but actual armband wearing. Um and he demands but it's not it's not just that. You you you, you go through the side, you know, Luke Shaw's playing the best he's ever played at United. He hasn't quite got the pace he had before his unfortunate uh leg break, the game at Eindenhoven three or four years ago, maybe five years now actually. But you know, you can go through the team Martial and Rashford. Martial scored the first hat trick for United since actually, well, league hat trick since Van Persie that season I mentioned. He's, you know, his goals on Saturday along with Rashford takes them to twenty each. They haven't had two players scoring twenty in a season for nine years. Um, you know, it's the last the last time they scored five at Old Trafford, um, I believe, was nine years ago as well, which is you know pretty interesting. So you know, there there are different factors. Oli solskjaer has got the spirit he wanted. He's he's cleared out. I made it when I did this piece, I mentioned eight frontline players have either been demoted, Phil Jones, for example, uh, or, you know, been sold, released. Uh, I'm talking Herrera, uh, Lukaku, all, all allowed to go on loan, Smalling and Sanchez. So, you know, nine frontline players, that's basically a team, obviously, isn't it? So that took a little bit of time to, um, um you know, for him to sort of uh, address the new team he's got. I mean, you mentioned the biography I'm writing. So that's out in October. And in the course of this biography, writing it from when it was first commissioned, basically it was commissioned when they were flying initially under him. I don't know if you recall, but there was a game at at PSG in the Champions Mm -hmm. League. They went there and basically knocked them out. And that's kind of when we signed the deal for the book. And so from then, if you can imagine, you know, a bit of a rollercoaster, but all the time I've been looking into his, you know, it's, it's a biography from sort of cradle to now sort of thing. And having, Spoken to former players of his, you know, when he managed in Norway, uh, people at our coaching stuff, just the whole thing, really. I, I was thinking, if they give him time, which is the most precious of commodity, you know, probably in life as well as sport, but you know, we're talking football. If they give him time, he, he's got a very good chance of, you know, coming through the the ups and downs, uh, and basically kind of, you know, doing what he is doing now. I'm still interested to see how they go between now and the end, end of the season. they have got Villa obviously on Thursday, then Southampton it's Palace, it's West Ham and it's Leicester, all of those games are winnable. You know, you could be talking about a 21-22 game on B1, factoring the FA Cup semi-final with Chelsea. They're basically the Europa League quarter-final because of the 5-0 lead they have. So, you know, things are looking good and it looks very stable, you know, a lot a lot more stable. So, I think, there are, you know, there's differing factors there. But I think, in a way, football is not rocket science. You have to get a very good manager, which I think they've got, and, and you then have to get the players through the door. And you go back to Fernandez. Crumbs now, him being there. Suddenly Paul Pop is looking at it and thinking I'm not the only one they're looking at, you know, as the the man. I've got I've got a teammate here who's sort of kind of almost on my level. And, and I bet, you know, I've not asked him this, but I'd be surprised if he's thinking, wait on, I actually quite fancy this now at United. So it, it has been a massive deal. And what's interesting about this deal is why did no one else come in for him? Fernandes? It's interesting, isn't it? You know, you would think mm-hmm. how good he's been, the impact he's made. And being Portuguese player of the year the last two seasons. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. Someone else would have had a serious go. Spurs wanted to sign him last summer, but refused to pay. Basically, the deal actually that um, United ended up paying for him. But that's kind of there's an interesting one that he slipped through the net. So yeah, I mean, you know, there are a few factors there.
0: You know, Jamie, you mentioned Paul Pogba, and you know, someone who's followed his career. Yeah, someone who is a Manchester United fan, and in my case. I thought that the role he was asked to play by Didier Deschamps with the French team was just, it was tailor-made for him, understanding that was a superb team. How do you think when all is said and done and, uh, you know, Ole's had another transfer market, whatever they do in that transfer market, where do you see Paul Pogba being utilized if he's still with the team now?
2: Yeah, listen, I think you ask the question, really, because you mentioned the transfer in the next window. Um, Yeah, if he's still there, I I think kind of basically where he's playing him now, which it's one of a sort of midfield two, but with, you know, the other one being Matic at the moment, or, you know, let's say it's McTominay or Fred, the anchor midfielder, you know, almost like the Kante, if I could put it that, or, or Manchester United, and he can... I don't think he's as good as number ten where Fernandez is. I think that's been proven. I think he is a sort of well, whatever you want to call it with really? attacking midfielder, but from a sort of reserve position where he can you know, I I was watching I've been watching quite closely as I, I often do because for me he's he is the best player at United still. It's effortless to him, I think, football. It really is. And you watch him as I have been doing, and he has been you know, he, he he's been again like another captain, which is another factor. Suddenly United have four, five, six, seven players who have taken on responsibility for leading. So, you know, he's there in, in, in his own area, as he should be, by the way, you know, as a midfielder, but, you know, he's there in his own area heading balls away. Then he's, you know, he's making runs. And so he's, he's a box-to-box midfielder, but starting off for me as one of a sort of, um, a, you know, one of a midfield two. And going back to this next transfer window, what's interesting is I think they need three, if I can call it this, proper players, elite players, A-list players, um. And then I think they've got a very good chance. Because then what you'd have is, I think, you look at this team now, the first, say, 11, and then, you know, they're playing at the moment, plus maybe McTominay and Fred are very good. You know, you look at them and think, yeah, that's that's cracking. But they need another, you know, three or four. But what's interesting is, it's actually a little bit more difficult, not impossible, but to, to identify where those, where those positions are because, you know, um, the players are playing so well. So I'd look at the left-back, I'd look at a, yeah, a, a sort of forward, um a goal scoring forward i'm thinking like a sancho and then i look at center back and i think of those three positions if you had to push me i'd say center back is the most important but it's interesting so i mentioned sancho there which listen he would in he would improve him which is what it's all about but the way greenwood is playing is, is interesting because this guy's got um uh 15 goals i believe it is i think eight of those are in the premier league his strike rate is just behind aguero and jamie vardy for sort of minutes played in the Premier League and goals and again going back to this 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 element of being in, in stadiums and you know being out here what's going on when he hits a ball like when he hit those two he scored on Saturday it, it sounds like a sort of heavyweight you know I used to cover boxing for the paper you know it sounds like a heavyweight with you know really throwing a clean haymaker is a beautiful sound and he's only 18 so you know this is he is another reason why they do it so well so yeah, I mean, you know, Pogba. I think where he's playing now, really, I mean, you, you correct me if you're wrong, but isn't that kind of where he played for Deshaun, That sort of that sort of position.
0: Hmm. Yes, it is. Yes, yeah. It is. It just and, I, and I'm with you. I just think that, uh, you know, one of the things that I think Oli has really cleared up is, yeah. and it, it's taken him a while, Jamie, but I think he's there are fewer United players that seem miscast now compared yeah. to maybe the final days of Mourinho or even. Last season, at the end of last season, I just get yeah. the sense that guys are in positions that suit them now, and that wasn't the case before.
2: Yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, Martial—he always wanted to be the number nine. And to be number nine for Manchester United, you've got to score goals, obviously, and you know, but also be have an X And I think, you know, as you say, there's a player who wanted to play in that position, and he's thriving now. And I can't remember exactly, he's certainly not any older than 24, he might be 23, but, you know, that's young, really, for a centre-forward, for any footballer, I suppose. Rashford's 22, Greenwood's 18. It's interesting, isn't it, how suddenly, you know, you can look at this, um, you know, this squad, and it isn't only because of Fernandes, but he has changed the landscape. He just has, a bit like Cantar actually, all those years ago, you know, when he came from Leeds Mm -hmm. uh, to United, the very first season of the Premier League, he just won the old first division with Leeds, he came along, and he was sort of the the catalyst, the missing piece, however you want to describe him. And that's kind of what Fernandez has done. But this is why I think it's very important to do what basically City, especially, do or have done anyway. I mean, they're in an interesting moment, which is stockpile these A-listers. So you know, I know he's leaving now, but there was a point where David Silva would would be in the team automatically, and Bernardo Silva or Kevin De Bruyne would have to fight. And now it's Kevin De Bruyne and one A and A and over, I mean Leroy Sane going I think it's a massive blow for them, but you know, he is another player who couldn't get in that side. He's a brilliant player, Leroy. And that's what United have to do. They have to have basically twenty you know, two amazing um teams essentially, or certainly twenty, you know, A-list players. And I think I think we will do, I think we will try and get Sancho. I think he's after a, uh, a centre back one hundred percent. And then the left back thing, as I say, we can have a debate about, you know, sure there's Brandon Williams, you know, there's Dallas, we can play the flank, but you know, it is important this next window. It's really important now. They have to. They can't just whenever they finish. Let's say they finish top four, and I don't know, win the FA Cup. That's brilliant, yeah. For you not know, in the context of Gun and social management, team, it's obviously not brilliant if you're a United, you know, the Heritage United where they should be. But it's great progress. Mm. But they have to then Woodward, the executive vice chairman, you know, has to then say, right, you want three proper players? I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna move heaven and earth to try and get them. And then let's see where they are, you know. Sort of midway through the, the uh, next season
1: a sancho um transfer is going to cost upwards of, of 100 million um yes. is is that is that even possible given the the current economic um picture that is is around every team not just united
2: well what's this it, interesting question again what happened was towards the start of, of the lockdown I think Solchar said something, and I am paraphrasing a little bit, but he said basically, you know, we're in a good position being Manchester United to, I don't know if you use this word, but basically take advantage of kind of what you're describing there, the uncertain market, not much, not as much money being around And Woodward basically in this sort of world of Manchester United and how these things work kind of, you know, went against that and said, no, we haven't got that much money. I'm only saying that to give you some context of what I'm going to say now, which I think they do have some money. Yeah? I, think, I think there is a hundred million or whatever it might be there for Sancho, you know, I thought, you know, I think they've got at least one of those signings in them and then what they would try and do, a little bit like say you say with Van Pasaka who, you know, wasn't approved he was Crystal Palace, he'd only had one season basically. He played about four well, he played about forty senior games if I recall correctly. Someone like that, you know, a clever signing that is actually good uh, but it isn't gonna cost as much. And then that's about you know, that'd be for the centre back, and then let's have a look at this left back thing. I think you will go into the, the window, maybe in his heart of hearts or in a perfect world, say uh, Socia wanting three but settling for two, and that would be a Sancho, you know, a marquee signing plus one, you know, smart signing. Oh yeah, Woodward and the scouts there have done have done their job. A bit like Fernandez. Fernandez is actually a very good example. Yeah, they paid forty six million. It might rise to eighty, but at the moment he looks a hundred and fifty million pound player. So, you know, that's that's what I think will, you know, f- for them, you know, we'll, we'll, that's what they're we'll trying to do.
0: Jamie, what do you think separates Man U from the top two teams, Liverpool and um, and and Man City right now? And if I had to ask you who has made up more ground this year on those two, Manchester United or Chelsea, which of the two teams would you choose?
2: Yeah, it's a good question. So, to answer the first part, basically, they've beaten... I think all of the, what you call the, the, you know, the proper teams this season, maybe not Liverpool, they've certainly drawn against, but they've beaten the City three times. I think it's a league double and once in a uh, Carabao Cup semi final second line, which is a bit of a dead rubber because they're, they're 3 0 down. But what I'm getting to say is all these inverted commas, kind of lesser teams, basically who they're playing now, actually, so people like Bournemouth, who they've lost the last two times at uh, West Ham. Maybe a couple of others in them. In Sheffield United, I feel like that's what—that's that the consistency really. Not being able to put those sort of teams away. It's cost them bundles of points. In terms of ground, I'm not an, I'm a massive expert on Chelsea because I don't cover them, and I, but I do watch them when I can, and I, I just look at that Chelsea score and I think it doesn't seem to me they've got some young players, but they're, they're still a little bit reliant. They're still up for me a little bit of dead or, or deadish kind of uh, weight there. I'm thinking people are like. Willian, who I, I know he likes, etc. But anyway, I, I think the answer is United. But you know, again, you get a clearer picture maybe because you know it's Lamp- Lampard's first season. You get a clearer picture maybe halfway through next season. Um, sorry, the name escapes me, but the striker they scored. It, it, sorry, they, they they signed Werner, wasn't it? Yeah, Timo Werner. Yeah, yeah. He, that, that was a bit of a coup, I think. If, if Jurgen Klopp going in for a player and Chelsea beat, you know, beat him to that player, then that they must be doing something right. But I think at the moment. You know, Chelsea are a little less stable. Now, you know, United could lose um, on Thursday and it made me look even more stupid than I normally look. But it was interesting, the Bournemouth game, for example, they went behind basically because De Gea made another mistake. You know, Junior Stanislas beats him from a tight angle near post. And six months ago, maybe look at that and think, well, you know, they're not going to come back from this. But they did and they basically, you know, they, they were very, very um, convincing. So I think that's the difference. Now. I think they are more stable. United there's more belief there.
1: Yeah, and it's uh, it's shaping up to be a very interesting couple of years ahead in the Premier League with uh, United and Chelsea maybe uh, trying to catch up to Liverpool and Manchester City. He is Jamie Jackson. Uh, follow his work at The Guardian and look for his biography on Ole Gunnar coming out uh, later this year in October. Uh, the Red Apprentice, you can find it at Amazon and wherever you get your books. Uh, thanks for this, Jamie. We really appreciate your time today.
2: Cheers, gentlemen. Thank you.
1: Take it easy. Thanks, Jamie. There is Jamie Jackson of The Guardian. So uh, soliciting more and more questions from you, the listener, here on A Kick in the Grass. You can send them to us each and every week at Blair and at danricho650 on Twitter. Our DMs are open, so if you'd like to send them that way, go ahead and do so. This one comes from Vikingstad, and he asks about Mason Greenwood. Where does he stand for comparable at same age regarding form and numbers in the Premier League, Jeff?
0: To me, the gold standard in England for players before the age of 19, it's still Michael Owen, Dan. He had an 18-goal season and a 9-goal season, which is just outrageous when you think about it. Robbie Fowler had a 10-goal season. Wayne Rooney had 9. But you know there is Mason Greenwood sitting there with eight goals and he's still got, I believe, five matches left to play. So I think we need to wait and see where we are at the end of the season. We, I think we need to wait and see how much of a role he plays in the Europa League, how much of a role he plays in the FA Cup. But he is he's in the discussion, isn't he? He is right on the cusp of having one of the best young seasons we've seen in Manchester United history. And for for an organization or for a club, Danny, that, that has spent so much time trying to get things right since the Alex Ferguson era, this is, this is like the perfect thing to have happen. It really is.
1: I was hard-pressed to find anyone that scored pretty much at the same rate that Greenwood has at his age 18 season. So 932 minutes, eight goals... That's a per 90 rate of 0. .77. Michael Owen, yeah, he he was incredible, but he played like 3000 really? minutes in those those uh, 17 and 18 year old seasons. So what Greenwood has done is is quite remarkable and almost unprecedented. I imagine, you know, as the sample size gets larger that uh, per 90 rate does come down a little bit, but if it settles in at at half a goal per 90 minutes, that's that's an incredible rate for a player. At, at any age, uh, never never mind even just at, at, at 18 years old. And there's also the Robin Van Persie comparison that a lot of people have made, um, mainly because he's left-footed. Uh, and Greenwood has actually likened himself to Van Persie a couple of times as well in the media. So thanks for the question, Vikingstad. You can send in yours again at DanRicho650 and at... S. N. Jeff Blair when we return the final segment of a kick in the grass it's injury time which includes a few more of your questions here for Jeff and I it is Dan Riccio, Jeff Blair a kick in the grass final segment of a kick in the grass Dan Riccio and Jeff Blair uh, this is injury time the part of the show where we get to some of the stories we have not yet gotten to and uh, we also want to take more of your questions here in the final segment of the show this one comes from Rocco Jeff he says uh, title fight is still on in La Liga and Serie A what about what the Champions League resumes Bayern will have been off for over a month PSG and Lyon will only have played one official match from March who has the upper hand those who are rested or those with momentum
0: yeah, you know that that's that's going to be something that's going to be very interesting to find out because you're going to have a couple of leagues where their teams are going to go right from the end of the league into uh into into that Champions League, into Champions League play. Look, I think things have broken perfectly for Bayern. Uh, They've they played a lot of soccer right out of the gate. They got through it relatively healthy. They got Robert Lewandowski back. Now they've got a bit of a break before they get back into Champions League. You know, Hansi Flick played it so well, Dan. I mean, he he experimented, he tried players in different positions. I would think that things right now, boy, it's just going to be hard to beat Bayern. And I understand the counter argument would be, and I don't know how you feel about it, but the counter argument would be well, what if somebody goes on a roll? A team like Real, what if they go on a roll and they keep it going into, into Champions League? I can kind of see that, but I just looking at it right now, it, it, I I would say that Bayern has to go into this favored, and I mean I want Real has a couple of tough matches left, right? I want to see, yeah. I want to see how they play, and I want to see how you how Juve gets out of Serie A but right now I'm going right now I'm going with Bayern.
1: Well, the, the interesting thing about that, you know, the Prem has about 5 matches remaining, La Liga 4 matches remaining. Um, Italy still has 8 matches eight, remaining. Yeah. Like they're going to be playing a ton going into that. I think that ends up being more of a hindrance uh, than it is a help. And the, the other thing for Bayern, they have the 3-0 lead on Chelsea. Um, Yet they still got to close out. So that'll kind of work. I I don't expect Chelsea to overturn that. I think that'll kind of work as a bit of a warm-up for Bayern to get ready for the Final Eight and plays very much into their favor. Uh, Another question from a listener. Mike wants to know um, if the Canadian Premier League will get or even needs the government help coming out of COVID ahead of uh, the uh, push to the World Cup.
0: You know this. This is kind of fascinating because very early on in the 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 pandemic shutdown of sports, we had a chance to talk to David Flanahan, uh the commissioner of the CPL, and it was both Stephen Brunt and myself. And our initial approach to him, approach to him was, okay, your first season was an artistic success. Your first season seemed to be of financial success there's certainly a lot of positive momentum for that league going forward and we said to David we have to think that this pandemic is absolutely the worst thing to happen to your league and his response was well pandemics aren't generally aren't positive to begin with which is true but he said that their business model is such that they could probably ride out some of the issues the financial issues that are going to come out of the pandemic more or easier than other leagues and then he made a real fascinating point and Scott Mitchell of course who's involved with uh, with the league and, and, and Forge FC and Hamilton pointed this out as well there are teams in this league that would be able to play in front of crowds at some point this year and practice social distancing because if you look at if you look at Tim Hortons Field in Hamilton Scott Mitchell told us that Tim Hortons Field probably if you wanted to adhere to all the social distancing protocols he said you could probably put 5 to 6000 people in Tim Hortons Field that ain't going to work for the Tiger Cats financially but you know what it might work for Forge FC financially so I think that that league in some ways is so unique and so uniquely positioned and has so much support from Canada soccer ahead of the World Cup in North America. I think they're going to be fine. I don't know if they need a lot of government money, but I'm willing to bet that if they did, they would be looked at more favorably, for example, than the CFL. I don't know how you feel about it, Danny, but I... I, I i think this is a league with a really bright future
1: yeah and, and i think it helps that when they did go to the government they had more of a plan in place than what the cfl offered Correct. up yes um at, at the time uh, i i think they get their tournament going uh in the next little while uh either uh out here out west in victoria on the island or or in halifax i think they'll be able to get that done i think they're just ironing out some of the final details on that my one concern is where does expansion go? Because I know they were Mm. pretty, um, they they were bullish on how quickly they wanted the league to expand. I wonder because of, the financial constraints that the pandemic has brought. Do you have as many uh, potential investors into the league? But that's something you know only time will be able to tell uh, for the future. They did expand to eight teams this year with uh, Atletico uh, Ottawa uh, joining uh, the league. So we'll see how it goes. But I do believe that the tournament will start soon. And I do think the league is, is in a good spot. They were very realistic about Uh, the financials of the league coming into this they knew it was going to be tough to to turn over profits uh, in the first few years of the league but it was never about that it was mostly about development Uh, quickly um, another title for Alfonso Davies Uh, Bayern wins the Pokal another double for Bayern Munich Uh, the Lumarsh has got to be Davies to lose right I mean I, I can't see anybody beating Davies at this point Ah,
0: you're talking to a Lou Marsh, voter. <laughs> who knows? Who knows what the rest of the year is going to hold? Uh, That's Brooke true. Anderson. Uh, look, I, I know who I'd vote for. Um, I would. I would clearly vote for him. Let's see what happens in the NBA playoffs. There are certainly some Canadian basketball players who are in the conversation. But yeah, I mean, how can you? How can you not? Uh, how can you not look at what Alfonso Davies has done? Danny and not and and not just shake your head and and listen I don't think we talk about him a lot Canadian soccer fans talk about him a lot I don't think the average Canadian sports fan knows how big this guy is internationally he right now uh, through the end I should say through the end of June was fifth in Jersey sales think about this fifth wow. in Jersey sales internationally amongst all Bayern Munich players think about that for a minute where he's come from, where he is, and how quickly he has become a mainstay of that uh, of that program—it's—it it, really is. It, it's one of the best Canadian sports stories of my lifetime. There's there's no other way to put it. And he is a hugely significant figure internationally. And I mean, I'm with you, Danny. As a Lou Marsh voter, he's got my vote right now. Somebody's going to have to do something remarkable for me not to vote
1: for him. And still a chance uh, at another title before the uh, season is out. Uh, one last thing. Uh, Thiago Alcantara is potentially off to Liverpool, away from Bayern Munich. Uh, this is an interesting one. I-, I will say Bayern might regret this one. Mm. Thiago's a fantastic player. Uh, and I think it's all the more reason. If this does go through, it's all the more reason for Dortmund to try and do everything they can to hang on to Sancho because... Uh, They're they're getting closer and closer to being able to to uh, drop them from the throne, I guess.
0: I'd feel that way if they had a different coach. I've seen enough of Lucian Thab after after (laughs) the way they wrapped up the season this year. I've seen Mm -hmm. enough of him but yeah i think if you're dortmund you you know if you, if you're dortmund right now i think you're almost in a position where you wait and see what bayern is going to do because we know that, that contract negotiations with david alaba have not gone well uh, as well for bayern there's talk that he may be on the way out so if you're dortmund and somehow you can you can wait and see without completely closing the market off for jaden sancho i i think that's what you do even if it means maybe taking a bit of a discount when you sell him because you're selling him later, uh, I I kind of want to wait and see what what Bayern looks like.
1: I uh, I, I I think for Liverpool it'd, it'd be a fantastic signing. He's easily uh, oh. their top midfielder uh, right away, and it, it yes. raises questions as to what they do with Nabi Kaita. Uh, as well moving forward but uh, we'll see how that plays out it's uh, been another fantastic edition of a kick in the grass remember to get your questions in for next week's show we have a new episode coming out each and every monday thanks jeff we'll talk next week
0: absolutely danny take
1: care this has been a kick in the grass on the Sportsnet radio network